This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Warning, the Savage Nation contains adult language, adult content, psychological nudity. Listener discretion is advised. And now, the world's most exciting podcast, The Savage Nation, home of borders, language, culture, and here he is, New York Times best-selling author and National Radio Hall of Fame inductee, Michael Savage. Welcome to the free version of the Michael Savage podcast, and I'm going to keep it free for all of you. But there are many of you who would love to be able to listen to my show without any ads. I love ads, but many of you want to listen to the podcast free of ads. So we created something for you, a solution. We call it the Savage Premium. For less than the price of one flat, tasteless beer at your local bar, you can receive access to all of my podcasts going back years ad-free for just $3.99. That's at $3.99 a month. You'll get not only my ad-free podcast, but you will also occasionally receive access to material that is exclusive for members only. And I'm going to give you the list in a minute of what you've, what you've missed. You're going to get an occasional monologue from me, maybe a reading from one of my novels, sneak peeks of interviews before anyone else hears them, archive pieces dating back to 1994. Many things that come up, you're going to get exclusive access to Michael Savage material. Details can be seen on my website, michaelsavage.com. And if you want to join... All you got to do is go to glow.fm and search Savage Premium. That's glow.fm and search Savage Premium. Now, you will always have access to my free weekly podcast. I want to be clear about that. That's my promise to you. But if you want less ads and more Savage, join the Savage Premium Club today and never miss a spoken word of mine. It's glow.fm slash Savage Premium. You can find it on michaelsavage.com. And here's some of the stuff that you have missed so far. Michael Savage reading from his best-selling novel, Countdown to Mecca. My words, my voice. Savage reads from one of his lost journals, Fiji, 1968. Savage's first drive-time show, Hour One. My interview with the Jewish gangster, very popular. I uh, read from my first written, published article, Who Is at the Helm? From 1965, it's heard nowhere but on my premium site. I read passages from my novel, Abuse of Power. Uh, we replayed Fat Al's Tuna. My Savage show from 324.94, the earliest show in the archive, 324.94. My interview with Donald Trump from 110.2011. 110.2011, while Mark Levin was mocking him and Sean Hannity was mocking him uh, and the others were mocking him, I was interviewing Trump much more and remember subscribers also get ad-free podcasts every week the cost is less than a beer at a bar and you get a better buzz with, <laughs> with the savage premium so go to go to glow.fm slash savage premium for full access to ad-free podcasts and exclusive sound you'll not hear anywhere else thank you very much colonel mcgregor our favorite military expert is back and things are getting so much worse before we go into the the minutiae of zelensky asking for submarines now which is unbelievable this guy is a psychopath i mean i have to take the gloves off you know part of my distaste for this whole ukraine war is him he's not conducting himself like a world leader who's in trouble but more like an entertainer who enjoys the spotlight but let's put that aside colonel he now wants submarines from Germany. It's unbelievable to me. First of all, is there a Ukrainian who knows how to run a submarine? Uh, doubtful. Okay. Well, maybe he can do it since he thinks he can be a leader. He can probably, uh, I guess, be a sub commander now. But this is serious business. The war is spreading. It's getting totally insane from the perspective of uh, not just myself, but Colonel I've seen a slight change in the narrative in the media, just a slight. Do you believe that public opinion is slowly 
awakening to the danger that we are in as a result of feeding this war machine? I, I think you can make the argument that the public is certainly beginning to discover that we're at high risk of a confrontation and ultimately a, a state of war that we don't want. Mm. I think more important, though, is that the, the truth of the Ukrainian effort falling apart and crumbling is actually seeping through and finding its way into the Western media. There are now articles uh, seeping through in Germany, France, uh, as far as I know, nothing yet really in Great Britain. Mm -hmm. But here, uh, telling us, uh, you know, this this is not some grand march to victory. Ukraine probably can't win. And and we should understand that because we've had statements by uh, Secretary of Defense Austin that, that effectively said that. He told the donor conference, you know, look, we don't have much time. Either we get this stuff uh, or it may be too late. What do they mean by too late? I don't understand what they're saying. The winter war with the hundreds of thousands of more Russian troops is about to be initiated, correct? Yeah, I think we're going to see that happen here shortly. Okay, so the the waters have frozen over. We've been waiting for the armored divisions to move. Obviously, if Ukraine knows that they have until the spring, to save uh, their, themselves from a Russian blitzkrieg. The Russians must know it as well. The, the Russian approach to this thing, and a lot of us have been trying to understand the Russians from the beginning. I didn't understand uh, Putin's initial approach, as we've discussed in the past. I didn't appreciate the extent to which he was trying to avoid unnecessary damage and civilian casualties, and how he, he, he genuinely believed that he was going to find a negotiating partner to end this thing. He finally abandoned that in the summer, set out to build this enormous force, which is now poised to attack. And what we're now beginning to sense is that instead of a massive assault from all three sides simultaneously, it looks like they're going to begin moving in the south, then incrementally from the, from the west, or excuse me, from the east, and then finally from the north. And what this amounts to is a deliberate, methodical conquest of what remains of eastern Ukraine. They're going to move up, capture the Donbass, destroy what's what's left of the Ukrainians there, then move further north as additional forces pour into the east. Once the east is secure, I think they'll cross the Dnieper River, and then we'll begin to see forces from the north begin to move south, and then the Russian forces will move across the river and link up with them. In other words, instead of the you know, historic, lightning fast, uh, Nazi-like approach. Mm -hmm. You're getting this very deliberate Russian approach, and I think there's some there's an important reason for it. I think the Russians, and now specifically, we need to talk about uh, President Putin and his inner circle, don't want to precipitate a wider war with the West. And I think their assumption is if we move systematically and methodically. We'll still win this thing, but we will not inadvertently provoke anyone in Washington or anywhere else to do something stupid like intervene in this mess and, and widen the war, which clearly the Russians do not want. Now, uh, on Saturday, the uh, Mr. Zelensky said Ukraine needed U.S. made at ACMS missiles with a range of 300 kilometers. ATACMs, yeah, these are uh, th this is a form of the HIMARS missile, same same product from Raytheon, but it reaches uh, you know out to uh, two hundred miles. And again, this is back to the discussion. Well, we have to hurt the Russians, or the Russians won't listen, which is nonsense. You hurt the Russians, they're going to double down and clobber you much worse than you're already receiving. I, I think we're almost at the end of this. I don't think Zelensky really believes that he's going to get more than a fraction of what he and his generals want. The The casualty counts are mounting. The situation inside the country is terrible. It's not just the, the collapse of energy, but now they have these press gangs, you know, trying to drag people in. And the latest tactic is to order a pizza in Kiev. And when the boy shows up to deliver the pizza, you, you capture him and put him in uniform and take him. Is away. that what's going on over there? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 reached the point of absurdity. They're, they've gone into all the way to the west, to the Carpathian Mountains, where you have several hundred thousand Hungarians who, thanks to Woodrow Wilson and other stupid people, were left inside Ukraine as a result of the post-World War I settlement. 
and they're now forcing them at gunpoint into the Ukrainian army to march four or five hundred miles east. We never hear about the press gangs here in America. I have never seen. Well, okay, the first casualty of war is truth, as we all know. You've yes. said that it's a who, who was the original citation by Bonaparte Bonaparte. Yes. Oh, the first casualty of war is truth. Well, we in America have almost zero truth here. And in fact, aside from yourself and a few others, I don't know what happened to the peace movement in America. And I look back upon the anti-war uh, peace movement of the 60s and I realize it was never a peace movement. It was an anti-American pro-communist movement. That's what it looks like to me, because, they're no. you know, where are the folk singers? Where are they? <laughs> <laughs> how many times where is she what are they busy what are they doing now but you know uh, they, yeah. they, they retired they retired from their professional life and began to teach at uh, ivy league universities producing the current generation of crazies that are running our government now there's a sensitive issue here i i don't know if you know this gentleman lieutenant colonel daniel davis Yes, Danny and I know each other well. He was oh, with me. No, I was afraid to bring it up because he said he was in the Battle of 73 Easting, which yep. you commanded, correct? Yeah, he was. Uh, he's really a first-rate soldier. He was an artilleryman at the time, did a great job. Hmm. And, and he is uh, honest as the day is long, as they say. Well, he's certainly coming out straight up about what's going on. He ran an, uh, an interview on Breitbart today warning about the chance of nuclear war, meaning if we do put, as you've said on this broadcast and elsewhere for for a long while if we push putin into a corner he's going to launch nukes he will never yield no of course not and, and there's no reason why he would this is very important to him again as we've talked about in the past this would be analogous to a foreign power like china or russia or somewhere else standing up a six or seven hundred thousand man army in northern mexico to invade and destroy the united states we wouldn't stop until the army was gone he's not going to stop until that threat is gone so in other words the more we punish russia militarily the higher the chances are him having to launch some tactical nuclear weapons except except doctor i would tell you that russia is not being punished militarily this is the other yeah. aspect of the big lie that's being okay told. When uh, General Zeluzhny was in the United States, the commander of Ukrainian forces, he met with uh, Secretary of, of Defense Austin and presumably also with General Milley, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. There are sources now saying that privately he told them that 257,000 Ukrainians have died since the beginning of this war. Now, let, let me read you, wait, 257,000? Yes, Ukrainians from all all walks of life, not just military, but civilians. Okay. We have no way of knowing that, but it's not unrealistic. Th this war does not resemble what we saw in the Second World War. Doesn't resemble Vietnam. This thing really resembles the last sort of year of World War One. And and remember that during the First World War, American forces on the ground in France only fought for one hundred and ten days. People don't realize that we were only, we only fought for 110 days in 1918, and in that time frame, we sustained 318,000 casualties in the United States Army, and of that number, 110,000 were killed. Now, if we look at those numbers right now, 110,000 men killed in 110 days, that compares with what you're seeing today in Ukraine. And remember mm. that 75% of the casualties uh, that the Ukrainians have suffered to this point, wounded or killed, have come from artillery systems, rockets, missiles, and hard shell explosive artillery rounds. That's very much like World War I. So we're, we're seeing that kind of attrition battle, except that the Russians ha have allowed the Ukrainians to impale themselves on this and have overmatched them dramatically. There are 10 guns for every one ukrainian gun they can, the russians can fire 60,000 rounds a day michael savage a host like no other this episode is brought to you by shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real pos you need shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory 
Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Where are the fools in our government? Where are they coming up with the idea that this small country without an air force can defeat a major thermonuclear power? Where did they come up with that idea? I, I think it stems from the initial phase of the operation when uh, Putin went in. Remember, if you go back and look at the at the mainstream media, all the so-called experts were saying, oh, no, the Russians will never, never intervene in Ukraine. That would be destructive. They would lose so much as a result. They're not foolish. They'll never do that. Well, that's all nonsense. They did. Their economy has not suffered. Has it had some setbacks? Yes, but ultimately their economy has thrived. If you look at all the key exports that they're involved in, agrarian, uh, gas, oil, minerals, you name it, they're they're doing a land office business all over the world. China and India have rapidly replaced Europe and the United States. So that hasn't happened. But I think they looked at the initial attempt by Putin to move cautiously into the country in anticipation of negotiating, and they mistook that for weakness. Mm. They mistook it for incompetence. Remember, whenever we go anywhere, it doesn't matter who it is, whether it's Iraq or Afghanistan or anybody else, we treat the enemy or the the opponent as though it were Germany or Japan in 1944. The Russians didn't do that because they weren't interested in the kind of destruction that has ensued. So we assume that's what we do no matter what. We destroy everything. We kill hundreds of thousands of people. What's wrong with the Russians? They must be weak and stupid. And I think people then decided in Washington, we can beat these people. They don't know what they're doing. Well, here's an article, and they're quoting this NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg, who sounds like a complete fool. And he said, Vladimir Putin is Putin is not preparing for peace. Uh, we all know that. Uh, and then he said, the world must prepare for the long haul. And it's important that Putin doesn't win because if Putin won in Ukraine, it would empower dictators and make the world more dangerous. You don't agree with that? Oh, well, this is this is the old neocon argument. You know, if we don't stop Saddam, you know, he'll conquer the whole Middle East. I remember the, you know, the, the domino theory from Vietnam, right? Exactly. Back to Vietnam. Same nonsense. Uh, I remember General Abizade uh, during the Iraq business, and I think this was about 2004, looking into the cameras and saying, if we don't stop these people now, we'll be fighting them in our own country. I mean, exactly what LBJ said. If we don't stop the Vietnamese communists, we'll be fighting them in the streets of Los Angeles. Ah. It's the same nonsense. And this man Stoltenberg is a Norwegian yeah. who knows absolutely nothing about what he's discussing. What happened to those? He's a puppet. What happened he's to these puppet. Nordic countries? You know, there's a great show on Netflix, Narvik, about the Battle of Narvik, which I'm sure you're very familiar with as a yes. military historian. It's an extremely interesting show from the point of view of an American such as myself, who never even heard of Narvik. And it was the only battle that the Nazis actually lost right in the beginning of the war. They were very good troops. They fought great. But of course, it's very interesting because it was a small army against the big army. They couldn't win. Right. Sure, they won the first couple of, you know, skirmishes and it was great then the country was overrun it's the same exact thing here so now challenger 2 leopard 2 m1 abrams tanks from the uk germany and the u.s going to mr Zelensky and his magic theater you're a tank expert is that going to change anything no why why is the expert opinion no well for there there are a variety of different reasons uh first of all any tank, and I think Dan Davis made this point in his article, any tank is only as good as the crew that serves it. And uh, that takes a lot of training and, and effort. I mean, we, back in 1990, when we deployed, we did a lot of training before we left. We fired everything until we ran out of ammunition and took everybody else's ammunition and fired it. But by the time we got to Saudi Arabia, we then went through a series of maneuvers that lasted for weeks at a time. Wow. And we built ourselves into a very formidable force. And that force could fire on average three 120 millimeter rounds in a tank. And that's that weighs each round weighs roughly 60, 70 pounds. We could fire three of those with pinpoint accuracy, moving or stationary within about 11 seconds. 
Now you don't get there when you when the tank shows up and you oh. get in, you shoot eleven oh, rounds. Wait, with the new military, tanks. we have uh, trans people in the military, and they're they're much more adept at moving things around. I'm sure that they can they can move the shells around much more adeptly than our, our troops. But uh, look, I'm trying to put some levity into it, into an insane situation. I can't yes. help it. My my old sense of humor is popping back because I think I I personally believe, and you're the expert, that we know the Ukrainians can't use these tanks that they're going to get in time. I think we're going to put American troops inside those tanks. What do you think? No, I think right now uh, Washington is afraid to do that. I think what is more likely, frankly, doctor, is that our tanks in particular will arrive if they ever do, if they arrive at all, long after the war is over. And I think what we're preparing is kind of a an apology right now. Well, look, we did all we could. Ah. We gave them all we could. It just didn't work. They failed. We tried. It's over. And also the manufacturers of these weapon systems get to make a new generation of Abrams tanks, don't they? Well, actually, the tank that they're manufacturing is different. It's a, it's actually a throwback because we don't want the very complex, sophisticated armor system on the tank to fall into the hands of the Russians. And so we're putting an older system on the tank. So in the event that the tank is captured, it won't it won't reveal anything that we can. Well, well, let me see if I follow. You mean we're giving them tanks that are being modified to not to not contain contemporary or the latest in armor? Yes. How, How do you do a thing like that? So quickly. Well, when you they're building these things from scratch. Oh. And that means that when they pull them off the assembly lines and they start adding the armor protection, the armor protection is what we had in the 70s, not what we have now. Oh my god. So we're giving them Again, but to go to your point, uh, let's face it, the industry side of this equation continues to make money. Yeah. The money continues to be moved to the Department of Defense. And then to, uh, from the Department of Defense, it goes out to constituents. Donors are happy. They get rich. Donors contribute money back to the Hill. So, I mean, from the standpoint of Congress, this is all this is all good news. I hear nobody screaming about this. Lindsey Graham's a warmonger, crazy, jumping up and down. Who manufactures the, the Abrams? Well, we have been manufacturing them. So does uh, the government at a, at a government uh, production facility in Ohio, the Lima tank plant. L- yeah, but, but I mean, also, is there a company that General Dynamics also builds tanks? It's General Dynamics. OK. And General Dynamics, of course, produces uh, the diesel engine uh, under license. It's a German diesel engine that is goes into the Israeli Merkava tanks. It is. What is it? A big V-12? Uh, no, it's it's larger than that, and it produces fifteen hundred horsepower. What is it, a V twenty four? It's exactly the sort of it's exactly the sort of engine that we should have in the M one, but we have this ridiculous turbine. As but what is it, a V twenty four? Do you know what the engine is? You know, I don't know exactly, but it's enormous and it's fifteen hundred horsepower. I'm I'm a, I'm an engine nut from cars, so I'm just curious. What? Oh, I see. So no, I, I wonder who's making the AMG company is making them, putting together two two twelve cylinder engines and making a V twenty four for a tank. Could be. No, no, no. It's it's different from that. This is a built exclusively for use in a tank. Okay, so now Zelensky has gotten the tanks coming, the Abrams, the Leopards, and the old clunkers from England that come with, um, I don't know what England's going to do. What, do they have 12 tanks left in their entire military, and they're giving them all to Zelensky? Probably. Yeah, it's N- tragic. Now he What's wants happened? F-16s. Uh, of course, a submarine was thrown in for good measure, but are the Ukrainians capable of flying F-16s now, Colonel McGregor? Well, if they bring, uh, you know, 100 Ukrainian pilots over here and they manage to wash out 50% of them who probably can't make it, uh, you might have 50 left over that could fly the aircraft, but that would take thousands of hours of flight time here in the United States and extensive training. You're back to the same problem again. How long is it going to take and does this really make any sense? That's why a number of people that were actually interested in helping the Ukrainians were recommending different sets of equipment equipment that was easier to master, simpler equipment, and large inventories of former Soviet equipment, which they could master more easily than the more modern Western stuff. This, this, that's why I think, I don't think any of this is serious any longer. Oh. I think people in Washington know Ukraine is going to lose. 
it's not a question of if, it's only a question of when. And that depends on the Russians and how rapidly they want to push this. So all of this is designed to sort of, uh, you know, make everybody feel good. And while at the same time maintaining the notion that unicorns are going to rescue Ukraine. The Savage Nation. It's savage on demand. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Isn't it possible that they know the U- Ukraine's lost and they're literally arming them for the next war against Russia, the bigger war with NATO? I don't think okay. so. And I'll tell you why. The reason why is this. Any notion that whatever survives in Ukraine could be allied with NATO and the West against Russia is absolutely unacceptable to moscow so they'll destroy it whatever, whatever survives will have to be neutral doctor will be neutralized or captured correct yeah i mean it, it, it's the russians have always favored something like the austrian treaty the austrians uh, were allowed to buy selectively sets of western equipment but there were limitations in what they could have and there were absolute clauses in the treaty that said no foreign forces under any circumstances on austrian soil and that's what they were trying to to achieve with Ukraine. And uh, they Ukrainians refused because we told them to refuse and we encouraged them to refuse. We put a government in there to do what we wanted. So Ukraine's being destroyed. And, and this is an important point. A friend of mine who studies demographics was looking at the true conditions on the ground in Ukraine. And he said something that I thought was really troubling. He said at the start of the war, there were supposedly 37.5 million people in Ukraine. He said, in reality, there were 2 million working in the European Union and in Great Britain. He said, when the war began, the Russians rapidly gained control of the area where you have overwhelmingly Russian speakers. That's another four plus million. He said, then within months, at least 10 million Ukrainians fled the country. So now to that, you have to add the numbers of losses of human life, particularly in the military that started out at 600,000. You realize that Ukraine today has a maximum of perhaps 18 to 22 million people in it. In other words, the areas that Zelensky is governing. Well, doctor, that's roughly equivalent to the Netherlands. That kind of country cannot sustain the losses and produce the military power that we're asking it to. It's impossible. The Netherlands can't do it, and they have an infinitely better trained, better educated, more capable population, certainly as far as technology goes, than the Ukrainians, who no fault of their own. And, and the bottom line is, if that's true, we've sentenced Ukraine to death, because it also has the lowest birth rate in Europe. And we have conducted polls where we go around and ask Ukrainian refugees, apparently, what are your plans? What are you going to do when the war ends? Virtually 100% say we will never go back. Wow. Wow, that's that's sobering. You know, there's a little side note here that keeps coming to mind. We keep hearing about climate change and the atmosphere heating and eliminate our gas stoves and put us into a little electric cars. I haven't heard one warmest screaming about the enormous amount of carbon emissions from this war. I haven't heard John Kerry screaming from the rooftop, stop the war, you're warming the globe at a rate of 0.1% a day. Not one word from them about their pet hysteria right now of uh, climate change. But we all know that running very powerful machinery called war machines and firing thousands of rounds of artillery is certainly expending some heat into the atmosphere. John Kerry, where are you? Well, ostensibly, uh, I guess anything that in the minds of these people in Washington <laughs> God, crazy. that harms Russia is somehow another good. <laughs> Therefore, 
regardless of what you do to the climate or worse, what you're doing to a nation of people shrinks to insignificance next to this larger goal of somehow or another harming Russia and its state. And of course, you know, the, the other thing, this is the other thing that really, really upsets me and many others. We're not dealing with the Soviet Union. Stalin is not in charge. These people are not communists. There's no there's no rational explanation for this undeserved. I think the Biden administration is more Soviet like than Putin right now. But we can argue that at another time. You're a scholar. I could make the argument that everything we allege to be fighting about the Soviet Union that isn't exist doesn't exist is actually emerging in the United States of America, what with the censorship and things of that nature. But I think that's a topic for, for another day. I want to stick to the war because that's really your expertise. People don't understand how incredibly what your background is. Never mind West Point, VMI, so important. But you also have a Ph.D., very important, a real one, not like a Dr. Biden's sociology degree, pardon me, uh, or whatever it was. Uh, It was an honorary Ph.D., and I'm very sensitive to real Ph.D.s as opposed to honorary ones. Ph.D.s are very important. They're really hard to get if you get them from a real university in a real field. So Mr. Ph.D., Dr. Colonel uh, McGregor, from the point of view of military history. You wrote the following. It was a great article. It was in the um, American conservative, and I want to quote it until it decided to confront Moscow with an existential military threat in Ukraine. Washington could find the use of American military powers to conflicts that Americans could afford to lose, you wrote. Wars with weak opponents in the developing world from Saigon to Baghdad that did not present an existential threat to U.S. forces or American territory. This time, a proxy war with Russia is different, unquote. What do Americans need to understand about this war and why is it different from these other wars? Russia is a great power on the on the level of the great powers that we experienced in the late Uh, 19th century, early 20th century. In other words, in many, many categories of national power, it is equal to or greater than our own. We are still the leading power, just as Britain was the leading power in 1900. But by 1900, Germany was already more powerful than Great Britain in terms of its capacity to produce steel, technology, and military power. This is true for Russia. And if you're going to fight the Russians, you can't afford to lose the war. And the problem for us is that we're not prepared for a war with Russia. We're not prepared to a fight for a fight to the finish with the Russians under any circumstances, nor should we be, frankly, doctor. But the point is that this is a war if we, when we lose it, we're going to lose it in Ukraine. There's no question about that. But we want to make sure that we do not jump into the abyss with Ukraine. We, we've done terrible damage. We should try and help the Ukrainians recover from this terrible mess that we helped to create. We need to try and cultivate better relations with Russia. But the point is, Russia can present, not just on the nuclear level, but across the range of national power, an existential threat against us that in a war could defeat us. Let's talk about that for a minute. Okay, so the tanks... They're going to be sent there. I think you and I have touched on this before. They don't fly there. They have no. to be delivered overland, first by ship and then by, by rail. And once they cross from Poland, assuming they'll come through Poland, into Ukraine, they're, they're military targets of the Russians. Do the Russians have the military capacity to blow them up the minute they arrive in Ukraine? And if so, with what weapons? They they know where the equipment is. They know where it's being loaded. They know where it's going to be delivered. And they'll know where it goes in Western Ukraine. Thus far, the Russians, with their tactical ballistic missiles, they have a range of precision-guided missiles, high explosives uh, that can caliber cruise missiles, Kinshaw cruise missiles, we go down the list, that can attack these targets very easily and, and annihilate them. What, the tanks? The Russians, but the Russians because of President Putin's strict guidance to his military commanders, has insisted that we to, that, that his soldiers and his generals avoid contact with the Polish border. Mm. In other words, if the Polish border is the place they cross, we'll destroy them, but we'll let them get 50, 60, 70 kilometers into the country. 
In other words, 30, 40 miles into Ukraine, then destroy them. But how? With what? Well, as I said, precision-guided missiles. From, I, I from, gave you the list. Wait, from Russia? Yes. They can, they can target everything right now from Belarusia. There are hundreds of systems sitting in Belarusia that is that are literally minutes away from Poland and Lithuania that can destroy everything as it shows up. But they have the capacity to launch from Russia itself, from the Black Sea. Effectively, they can do what we can do. We have the capacity to launch weapons from around the globe. They can do the same thing. Only their advantage is that since we've decided to challenge them on their doorstep, they don't have to launch a weapon into the Pacific Ocean near California. All they have to do is launch it into Western Ukraine. So it's a, it's a difference of minutes. The Savage Nation. It's savage, uncut, unfiltered, and raw. What about submarines? Would the Russians be using submarines to f- fire any weaponry? They deployed the, m- much of their submarine fleet a few months ago. They did. Yes. And those submarines are offshore of the United States, just beyond our territorial waters. They may be 50, 100 miles offshore. All of those submarines are equipped with various kinds of weapons, theater ballistic missiles, cruise missiles. They can be nuclear or in some cases non-nuclear. They're out there and they can respond. They can respond to direction immediately from Uh, the Kremlin, to attack any number of targets inside the United States. They did that early on to make the point, look, we we can do what you can do. This is what people need to understand. We We no longer have a monopoly on a whole range of capabilities that we once enjoyed. This is the problem with this silly notion, this arrogance and hubris about being the world's leading superpower, that we can exert hegemonic control and power over everything. We can't. We need to get along with people as opposed to threatening everyone who doesn't want to do what we suggest. Unfortunately, we haven't come to terms with the reality that we're now dealing with powers that can do enormous damage to us, that can, that can end our civilization. You know, I live on San Francisco Bay. I'm very attuned to it. I live on the bay, literally on, literally on a breakwater most of the time in a house. I watch the sea life. But I also watch the sky, not for the birds. I've noticed jets scrambling over the last few weeks in maneuvers. Either they're F-16s or F-21s, but they're they're practicing. Either they're coming out of McClellan or some other air base near here. And I've seen people write to me on social media, Colonel, that they've noticed the same type of scrambling in different places of America. Is this country on a mild war footing? I, I think that we are now implementing what they would call in Washington prudent measures to be prepared in the event that we end up in a direct confrontation. And that's ultimately why I wrote the op-ed that you've got there, because people need to understand that this needs to stop now. Yes. Ukraine is destroyed. We should be interested in that human catastrophe and ending it. We should care about that. Well, Trump said the other day at his rally, that he would end it in 24 hours. He said a peace treaty is waiting to be made. I could make it. I believe him, too. Well, I think we could. But, of course, remember that whatever peace we come to with the Russians over Ukraine is not going to look remotely like anything we set out to achieve. Why? Because the Russians are winning. They're in charge. It's their country now. They can determine the outline and the, and the character of the state that emerges. And we should allow that. I mean, is it, it, it's as though we discussed before, Mexico becomes a launching pad for a foreign army against us. We destroy it, and then we expect to go back to the status quo. No. no. We would probably draw a line over the first two or 300 miles into Mexico and say from now on, nothing military in that area under any circumstances. Well, when, when uh, Zelensky ran for office, the, the entertainer that he was, Mm-hmm. playing the piano uh, and things of that nature with various body parts that can't be mentioned on this podcast. <laughs> well, now he's a great Napoleon and Churchill all rolled into one. But people listening to this podcast should know, and this is a big pause, that he ran as an anti-war candidate. I, I don't think this is remembered. Zelensky was an unknown jerk who ran as an anti-war candidate and said he absolutely does not want to have Ukraine join NATO. He will not permit 
weapons to be brought to the border with Russia. He wants peace. That's how he got elected. How did he suddenly become Napoleon so quickly? Well, I'm not sure how sincere his platform was. Okay, that's enough said. But, but if you <laughs> if you go back if you go back and look at Ukraine, you brought up something that's really interesting. All but a very little small part of Ukraine centered around Lvov in the very far west of the country. Virtually everyone else voted for him. I mean, Ukrainians on both sides of the river. U- Ukrainian Ukrainians, Russified Ukrainians, Russians, everybody voted for him because he promised to end the war with Russia. He literally said, I'll meet with the Russians. We'll work it out. We'll put an end to this violence. Now, once he was in there, and, and you, you know, we can talk about the origins of Zelensky. There are people out there writing books right now on the subject, I'm sure. And you can trace it back to various oligarchs. Kolomoisky is one of them. I'm told George Soros has had a hand in this. And then you have to look at the people from Washington, D.C., like Victoria Newland and others who were picking candidates and installing. I wrote them. about her in Government Zero. I wrote about <laughs> Zelensky as Soros as stooge. Remember, yeah. Soros is banned in Russia. He hates Putin. Soros is the yeah, manipulator of, of almost everything evil going on on the planet, from the perversion of our school children to World War Three. But let's save that for another day. There are evil people on Earth. Yes. I'm looking at a map of Ukraine. You know this intimately. You've been there, and we've talked about this before. Why is Crimea suddenly coming up in this discuss in these discussions again? That we're going to liberate Crimea and give it back to Ukraine? How did this suddenly appear? Well, this is this was the justification for all of the original sanctions when Putin, who rapidly concluded that if he did not regain control of Crimea, it would become a NATO naval base. And he said Crimea has been Russia, Russian since the 1770s. We are not going to allow Crimea to become once again uh, a base for attacks against Russia. People don't seem to understand that for hundreds of years, the Russians fought against the Mongols, the Tartars, and the Turks to drive them out of Crimea and southern Ukraine in order to ensure that Russia would be secure, and for that matter, to ensure that Ukraine would be secure. And the Poles had a role in that as well. But the bottom line is that I think we've said, no, 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 this is the way the borders were drawn back in the 1950s and back by Lenin, and so these have to be respected. This is all nonsense. Remember, Khrushchev decided to give Crimea to his party buddies down in Kiev after a long night of excessive drinking. (laughs) So I've read. You know, and then if you go back to Lenin, he drew borders with the explicit purpose, and Stalin reinforced this, both of them, uh, to ensure that there were peoples in each of these countries that were sufficiently hateful towards each other. No that the various groups would be in no position to present resistance to them and communism. Sounds like America today. Well, it's just, you know, divide this and is conquer. all nonsense. Divide and I conquer. mean, to listen to somebody like like Secretary of State Blinken oh tell us that God. all these borders are inviolate, only a complete fool would, would know, would say such a thing like that. When have borders anywhere in Europe been permanent? No, they've shifted. Rarely. They've shifted like the sands of, uh, of Arabia. Home of Borders, Language, Culture, The Savage Nation. Look, you have so much knowledge and information. I'm looking at a map of Crimea, and uh, now we see where Russian troops are, and it's basically the entire eastern part of Ukraine is now in, well, let's well, say not e- all of it, but most of it. east of the Dnieper River, correct? Right. A good portion right. of it. Where are the battles ongoing right now? They're still down in this thing they called the Donbass, which is the Donetsk Basin. Remember, that was an area of concern for the for the Germans as well as the Russians or the Nazis and the communists because of its industrial capacity, its coal, its iron, its various resources today. It's, it's very important because of the oil and gas that resides underneath it. In fact, uh, people are saying that the 25% or so of uh, Ukraine that the Russians now control represents effectively 90% of the gross uh, national product of Ukraine. Wow. In other words, there's not much else beyond that in terms of real hard uh, resources that are very, very valuable. Western Ukraine is more mountainous? Oh, it's all agrarian until you get to the Carpathian Mountains. Beautiful, open, rolling countryside. Of course, that's why they called it the bread breadbasket of Europe. So it's like Kansas, central Ukraine. Yeah. 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 So uh, the, the thing is that most of the fighting is is uh, on the outskirts and, and around this thing called the Donuts Basin. The Ukrainians are pulling north and, and out of the area to the extent they can. 
and and the Russians are gradually tightening the noose around it and will kill off everything that's in there that doesn't get out. And the Russians are actually letting a lot of these Ukrainians escape. Uh, they, they just as soon get them out of there and, and put an end to the battle down there. Now, how much longer will this go on? I don't know. But if you look at the two major areas, one is down in Zaborosia, which is to the western end of eastern Ukraine, over near the Dnieper River. Where? By, by and then you go, okay, Zaporozhye. I'm looking yeah, at the And ma- then you go up over to this this river. It runs just east of Kharkiv and then south into Ukraine. It's called the Oxal River. Mm. If you look at that line there, on the two flanks, on the outskirts of, the, of this Donetsk Basin, you have large Russian forces poised. We think there may be 180 to 220,000 Russian troops there. At some point, they're going to start moving through those two areas and headed north because there won't be anything to stop them. And when that happens, that's that's really the beginning of the end for the Ukrainians in eastern Ukraine. They're close to it now, but it hasn't yet. They haven't pulled the trigger, so to say, on those forces yet. Well, you had said that once the ground froze over, there'd be this great uh, mechanized war. And we're still waiting. I mean, what are they waiting for, the Russians, for their big blitz? Well, I, I think there are a number of things. First of all, uh, I've always always asked, you know, where, where what is the state of the logistics? Yes. The Russians are very sensitive to it. They, they want to, they pause, they push forward ammunition, push forward fuel, push forward medical care. I mean, the Russians have done an excellent job of saving lives on their own side. I mean, it, it really, that has to be admitted. They, they've set up a very fine medical evacuation system. Mm. Uh, and those things have to be in place. My suspicion is that those things are in place. So the only thing I can conclude right now is that they're waiting for these two avenues of approach that I mentioned to be clear, and then they'll move through them. But they're going to go through methodically, systematically annihilating whatever remains of the Ukrainian armed forces, and they're going to do it deliberately. And by our standards, we would say slowly, primarily because I don't think the Russian high command wants to precipitate a, an incident with us. Well, but and you know, they, they've yeah. seen us and they see us as impulsive doctor. Oh, I know that by the way. And they don't, they don't want some impulsive character in the white house or the state department to say, Oh, we have to stop this. Let's get involved. That's what they don't want because they don't want a wider war. Colonel McGregor in your article, you include this character, Michael Rubin, a former NWO Bush appointee who calls, for the West to provide nuclear weapons to Ukraine. What, what the hell is this? Uh, it's it's reckless, irresponsible nonsense. We, we should be preeminently interested in halting the proliferation of any nuclear technology. And the last thing you would want to do is put the nuclear weapons into the hands of someone like Zelensky. Yeah, but uh, Putin has said this could end. I think it's right here in the, in the headlines today. Moscow, end of nuke arms control. That's the yeah, latest the headline. End of nuclear. Well, remember that arms control, and, and this is something that Reagan, you know, gradually didn't understand immediately, but eventually got it. And I think everyone else has understood it. It's not a perfect regime. There are always efforts to tinker on the margins of arms control to gain an advantage. And whenever the arms control agreement seems to seems to not work, you have to ask yourself the following question. Do we tell our opponent? Russian, Chinese, whatever, that he's cheating. Because if we tell him he's cheating, he'll know that we have access to information he was unaware that we have. How serious is the cheat? Do you understand what I'm saying? These are the problems with arms control. But there is still unavoidably a lot of trust involved in this. And when you you listen carefully to the Russians, whether it's uh, Foreign Minister Lavrov or President Putin or any number of of figures in that country, their, their comment repeatedly is, You've lied to us for years about everything. Well, I'm not shocked to hear that a country lies, but this is alarming. When I read the headline, Russia warns the United States the end of nuclear arms control may be nigh. And you'll go look at the article coming out of Reuters and it expires. The bilateral nuclear arms control could expire in 26, blah, blah, blah. Ask if Moscow could envisage envisage there being no nuclear arms control treaty after 26. Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabakov told the state news agency this is quite a possible scenario and it said because the united states to repeat what you're saying or confirm it had in recent years ignored russia's interests 
and dismantled most of the architecture of arms control. Ryabakov said, new STR, new start may well fall victim to this. We are ready for such a scenario. It's a warning to uh, Washington because the United States has supplied more than 27 billion that we know of in security, meaning weapons to Ukraine, including 1600 Stinger anti-aircraft rocket systems, 8500 Javelin anti-tank missile systems, and over 1,155,000,000 artillery rounds. Where is this going to end but bad? How could it end any other way but with the devastation of Ukraine? It can't end any other way. Or can it? Can we be stupid enough to... Could we literally launch a nuclear weapon against Russia to stop them? Could Is there a fool somewhere in the White House who would say, let's nuke Moscow to stop them? I hesitate to say no, uh, given some of the people that have been speaking recently, but... Uh I still believe that wiser heads will prevail and that there's an understanding that any escalation to the nuclear level spells the doom of civilization as we know. Well, it. We so know I that Blinken doesn't seem to understand that. I, th by the way, to their credit, I think the military does. Yes. The U.S. military seems to have a more sober view of all of this than the, yes. the, the so-called uh, uh, professional warriors inside the White House. Yes, I no, I think that's true, especially at the very top. There's no question about it. Nobody wants anything to do with a nuclear exchange. But again, we've we've gone too far. And what is required at, at some point is someone to stand up and say enough is enough. Who's that going to be? Well, it should be the president of the United States. We don't have one. We we have well, a, it's kind of a cardboard cut. We have a hologram in a basement is how I called it. I don't know one day. You know, this is an interesting conversation for another day. There are days that he's totally incompetent, senile, um, falling apart. And all of a sudden, he's cogent and a great speaker. I'd love to know what they put him on because, boy, I'd like to buy some of those vitamins. <laughs> we want to keep you off those vitamins, doctor. <laughs> I don't think you want those. Uh, well, I, I, look, I don't know. I just It's just depressing because, again, we've talked about this before. You could go back over the last 50, 60 years. And every administration has always treated this nuclear th business as untouchable. And there has always been a concerted effort to find a way to end conflicts involving the great powers, the United States, China, and Russia. This is the first time that we've seen an active role by the president and his administration to actually cultivate and extend conflict, to promote it as a policy position. And the sad part is that the people on the Hill seem to be quite content with it. And I don't give a damn if they're Republicans or Democrats. Once you get past the the infamous 20 that that everyone complained about vis-a-vis uh, -vis Ryan McCarthy or whatever his name is, Kevin McCarthy, uh, nobody seems to be raising any objections to what you and I are discussing. I don't think there is a true appreciation for war anymore. Everybody thinks it's something that happens in somebody else's country. A video game. But and then this is the key point. War with Russia will not be confined to Ukraine if we get into this. Well, it isn't. Iran was struck just the other day. And take a guess who popped up and boasted about it. A Ukrainian presidential advisor uh, said to Iran on the drone strike, we warned you. What the hell are they? These people, by the way, must be on drugs. Ukraine well, desperate. Ukraine warned Iran that someone would attempt to destroy the Iranian plants and other weapons facilities. What the hell did the Iranians have to do with Iran? I mean, what did the Ukrainians have to do with Iran? Yeah, that's what I meant. Well, I think their their effort is very obvious to the extent that they can widen the war and expand it. They see it as saving themselves from disaster. You mean by dragging it going to happen by dragging Israel into a war with Iran? I, is there any evidence that anybody uh, in Kiev gives a damn about that? No, but Israel's trying to maintain a, a walk on a tightrope and not provide weapons. But the fact is, wasn't there just a strike in Iran for explosion? Yeah, well, I mean, I think Blinken was just in Israel and announced that he and the Biden administration all universally support an independent Palestinian state. <laughs> I'm sure Mr. Netanyahu is delighted to have them on his side. <laughs> In the middle of all of this, an Israeli and Israel Palestine war right now. Yeah, you know, these people are these people are ideologues. They're true believers in this globalist nonsense. 
and uh, they, they bought the, the neocon line that you began this discussion with, that uh, the way to peace in the future is to wage war against everybody until there's nothing left. Michael Savage, a host like no other. So there was an attack in Iran over the weekend by an explosion via drones. And here we have a Ukrainian advisor smiling about it, saying, we warned you again. You saying that because they'd love to see a little wider war. Is that it? I, I think they see that as in their interest. Anything that winds the conflict that, oh. that compels us to join it is is what they see as positive for them. Oh, boy. You know, this is wag the wag the dog on the. On the global scale. Well, Colonel, as usual, you've um, excited the brainwaves, mine anyway, and I'm sure many other people love hearing you. And uh, are there any final thoughts? Because I know this is not the last we're going to speak, God willing. I, I think we need to uh, exercise some patience and uh, a number of developments in Ukraine on the military side will take place over the next few weeks that will change this picture dramatically. Uh, Zelensky is so weak right now and so widely disliked and in many cases hated inside his own country and by his own troops. What, for lying to them? It's not impossible. It's not impossible that somebody on the Ukrainian side removes the man. But he's hated because he did the opposite of what he told them. Instead of peace, he gave them war. Well, if you're a soldier and you're at the front and you're starving and you have no means of transportation and you're bleeding and you're left in a quarter to die in the cold, oh. uh, you're, you're not going to be very friendly towards the regime that sent you there. Ukraine plans $550 million drone investment in 23. Reuters just released that story. What? Ukraine? Well, I think that's that's more of our money being transferred to the usual suspects, is it not? It doesn't have anything to do with him. He doesn't have any money. <laughs> so we're sending them money. Ukraine is the 51st state. 16 supply deals have been signed with Ukrainian manufacturers. So they're going to be made in the U.S. or in Ukraine? Oh, be made here, undoubtedly. I, how are you going to make anything in Ukraine? No, if, you, if you try to move it into a storage facility, the Russians will blow it up. This is nonsense. This is more of the wealth transfer. Doesn't make any sense at all. Ukraine has received significant supplies of UAVs from its partners, from Turkey's missile-equipped TB2 to the Norwegian-made Black Hornet recon drone, which weighs less than 33 grams. Wait, Kiev is now seeking to boost domestic production to build what officials cast as an army of drones, and you're saying they couldn't do it? I, I'm just saying that as soon as they have a facility that's producing anything, it can be identified, targeted, and destroyed. And it will be. By the Russians. The Russians, of course. And remember, the Russians, they, they've got this enormous arsenal of precision-guided missiles and weapon systems. They've got hundreds of thousands of troops. That's why I say let's, let's exercise some patience, see what happens over the next few weeks. But the most important thing I think Americans can do is contact the people that represent well, you in Washington. I don't know who they or are. Or at least are supposed to represent you and tell them, no, we're not interested in putting the survival of the United States or the interests of the United States at risk over Ukraine. Tell them, no, we don't want to fight. Well, we're watching a snake oil war against the Soviet Union that no longer exists. I'll summarize it from my point of view. It's a snake oil war against the Soviet Union that no longer exists. And meanwhile, here in America, we're we're suffering through the president's classified document scandal. We don't know how many of those documents had to do with Ukraine. We don't know whether any Ukrainians were allowed to look at them. We don't know what they have to do with China. The country right now, Colonel, I would say, is in very desperate straits. I don't see it in any other way. I think we're in terrible place. But I know some women really intelligent, highly educated, I would say very conservative women who are terrified of World War III right now, people who are not given to hysterics. They're telling me that they have sleepless nights about the fear that they could wake up to a world war. Is that is I mean, it's a possibility, but it's unlikely well, that that is spreading across Europe right now. What the fear? Europeans are beginning to reach the same kind of conclusion. They're very concerned. I think that we're going to see uh, the German chancellor go away shortly and his uh, bizarre foreign minister the young crusader who wants to fight Russia until nothing is left. 
I think we're going to see uh, governments change all over the European continent over the months ahead. Uh, and that's why I said right now we have to exercise some patience, but at the same time, we desperately need leadership. We Our borders are open. We have no idea who's coming into the country. We don't know where they're going. We don't know what they've got with them. I mean, we could wake up tomorrow morning and find that a nuclear power facility has been attacked and destroyed, that we have a nuclear accident well underway caused by somebody that came in over the border. I mean, we just don't know. The, the country is in serious trouble. You're absolutely right. But Americans have to figure it out. And they just haven't yet collectively reached that point. I have one last question. I know your time is short. Um, I live on San Francisco Bay, as I mentioned, and not far from me across the bay is the Richmond refinery run by Chevron. It's one mm -hmm. of only seven refineries that we have in the entire nation. There's usually a Coast Guard picket ship anchored out off the bay. And I know it. they weren't seen at all until Trump came to power. I remember that. And I used to say I had military friends who would say, you know, that the potential energy inside a, uh, a storage facility like that is equal to several nuclear bombs. We're talking about the latent potential energy you understand. Yes, yes. How could that be released, God forbid, through a terrorist attack? You're, I, I, I'm be, you're pushing me beyond my level of expertise. <laughs> well, I don't understand how you can blow up. I just, I just can't tell you. But, I mean, clearly all of these things are issues. No one is seems to be remotely concerned about it. No. And we continue to print money like no tomorrow. Somewhere along the line, we're going to see this entire mess converge into what is a, a fiscal, economic, security crisis for the United States. I think we'll leave it at that point. Now, what's your next interview? You seem to be doing them all day long. Now, I, I watch your I love your website, by the way. I'm going to mention it if I can find uh, the one that I like the most. I think it's your main site. It is right here. It is. Well, tell it to us. I, I'm. Well, mine is uh, futuredefense.com or douglasregger.com. But futuredefense.com, love it. And it shows if future, it's uh, future defense visions, futuredefensevisions.blogspot.com, yeah, right. uh, general examination of future defense trends and considerations for reform to achieve maximum. Oh, your book. I must mention it. <laughs> oh, I was so honored. I was so honored. I asked your publicist to have my people ask her to send me a book. So I got it the other day and I opened it up. I was so honored. It says to Michael Weiner, a.k.a. Doc Savage, with gratitude and dedication for his defense of Western civilization. Colonel McGregor, 24 June 2023. I was so honored by that inscription, Colonel. As an author, I understand what that means. And I put it up on my Twitter feed. People were so happy. And I said from the great Colonel McGregor, it was on, on my Twitter feed, my Facebook, my Instagram, and they all were thrilled. They said, where can we get the book? But there it was. And people have written uh, your most recent visit with Colonel McGregor was as informative a discussion as I've ever heard on a podcast. Things like that. Hmm. At this volatile moment in time, I would like to listen to a weekly podcast with you and Colonel McGregor. It's almost becoming that. <laughs> Well, listen, you deserve a lot of credit for your real serious fight on behalf of Western civilization. We need people out there fighting for our civilization. That's what this is all about. And we're not going to we're not going to fight for it in Ukraine. That's not where the fight is. The fight's here at home. Oh, yeah. The fight's along the southern border. It is. Uh, it, that's where we need to focus. We need to stop picking overseas enemies out. And, and saying, oh, if we destroy them, all will be well. Nonsense. The problems are here. You're the man that identifies them. And the inscription said specifically, you know, gratitude and admiration for your defense of Western civilization. And my handwriting is terrible. I apologize. Oh, no, no, it's wonderful. I, I'll cherish this book. I, I, I underline certain paragraphs in here. Our high, here's what you wrote. Colonel Klaus Graf von Stauffenberg, the highly decorated general staff officer who organized the plot to kill Hitler in July 1944, described the German command structure with these words. Our high command organization in the Second World War is more idiotic than the most capable general staff officer could invent. If he received the task to create the most senseless wartime high command structure, he could. 
that's very Germanic, but I understood it. It sounds like our high command. Exactly. <laughs> that's that, that's the whole point. Yeah. Yeah. He he described what, what obviously didn't work, and we've gone them one better. So we, we now have the we have the Wehrmacht in America. <laughs> <laughs> Colonel, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. I look forward to all of your uh, podcasts and writings. Thank you, doctor. I appreciate it. The world would be a much, much emptier place without your intellect. Thank you. You're very kind. Thank you so much. Bye now. Bye -bye. Well, thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and learned something from it. We have about 400 other episodes available for you to listen to absolutely free. You can go back into our vast library of podcasts and listen to any one of them at any time. And remember this, if you want to listen to my podcast ad-free, sign up for the Savage Premium Membership and get access to ad-free podcasts as well as some premium content from our Savage Archives. How do you sign up for those ad-free podcasts? Please visit michaelsavage.com for a link. Again, thank you for your listenership. This is Michael Savage.